Rick is teaching from Luke 24 this morning, 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But they went, when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. You're going to have to trust me that there was some really good music that was going to be applied to that last video. I promise. It was really good. It was really good. And so was the microphone that I usually have, it, but it's not really good. Uh, that's why I'm holding this one. Uh, let, let's, uh, I, I want, do you guys have a bulletin? Does anybody not have a bulletin? I want to show you, read to you something. Uh, can you pass that around, Rick? If anybody doesn't have one, kind of raise your hand and Rick will hand you one. Um, but there's, there's something that's written here. I don't reference these a lot, um, but I want to, as we start today, I want to draw our minds around what's written. There's one page that says people on the top and another page that says truth on top. I want to read together the one that says truth on top, and then we'll, uh, we'll pray and get started with the unpacking God's word for us this morning. Um, this says Easter is about new life and hope. God sent his son Jesus to die for us, and after three days, rise from the dead. The feelings of sadness, pain, fear, and confusion are gone and replaced with hope, joy, peace, and excitement. What if Easter was not simply God's remarkable plan to redeem the world from sin and brokenness and to bring grace that never exhausts? But what if it was also a metaphor for you? What if it were a part of God's grand plan to redeem the world and to bring hope for you right now? What if Easter is part of a grand plan to implant endurance in your soul and to show you that he brings beauty from ashes, life from death, and makes the broken whole? Easter says that pain can be healing, chaos can bring resolution, and sometimes things die and come back to life. Consider that today and for the rest of today, as we think about the actual events of the resurrection, I have been praying for you all week that you would leave here with a sense that God is telling a good Friday and an Easter story in your own life. The pain and confusion, sadness and fear that you come here with is perhaps a story that God is telling you to show you how infinitely valuable he is and how deep his love for you is. 
God, I thank you for um, for Easter, and I even thank you for the um, even the melancholy that's in my own heart in this moment, God. Um, Lord, you're telling a story. You're always telling a story of your grand plan of redemption. And today is the day when our culture has set aside to celebrate the resurrection of your son, Jesus, Father. But God, every day um, is new. Every, every day is, is bright. And every day it has the possibility and prospect of us celebrating your resurrection, Father. Lord, I confess to you and to, to these people this morning that um, my heart is melancholy and it feels more like a painful Good Friday than it does a bright and shiny resurrection Easter wear pretty clothes and look at pretty flowers sort of day, Father. But you are good and I trust that you are good. And Lord, I trust that your word is the truth and I trust that you do good things to us. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Uh, So Luke chapter 24 is where we are, and we're in our series um, called Witnesses, and we're looking at the the book of Luke from this perspective of um, there being witnesses and and people to to witness the life of Jesus. Um, And so the book of Luke, I, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but I'm going to say it again. Uh, the book of Luke was, was written by a second-generation person, Luke, to a second generation of people after Jesus had, di- had lived his life and died and, and resurrected and, and ascended back into heaven. After all that stuff had happened, this, Luke writes his gospel from interviewing and doing research from witnesses that actually saw the events take place. So he's writing to a second generation, and he is second generation. And so we're going to... So after this week, we'll go back next week to the beginning of Luke, Luke chapter 1, and we'll look at all these witnesses that watched and, and saw the, the, the life of Jesus. And this morning, we focus in on a, a group of women who are... Uh, the witnesses to the story. Um, scholars believe there were five women. It talks, it names three particular ones, and then says there's some other women involved. But the main woman that that, that this story kind of revolves around is Mary Magdalene, and it's a it's really important to understand who she is. Um, this woman earlier in in her life was possessed by demons and was a prostitute, and Jesus encountered her and um, changed her life, and and he cast out demons from her. Um, so the main witness in this story is a, is a former demon-possessed prostitute. Um, and uh, I want you to, to, to see that today, that the, the incredible nature of our God would, would use and would show that He loves us so much, and and he would use someone who culture had said was irrelevant, and who culture had said was was useless, and and not just culture, but also religious culture. Religious culture had said we don't pay attention to this woman because one, she's a woman, and two, she's demon possessed, and three, she's a prostitute. And Jesus decides that this is the one that I'm going to use. Um. And that, that makes me really happy. 
Um, so let's let's dig into to this these twelve verses. Verse one. But on the first day of the week, I'm reading from Luke chapter twenty four, verse one. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking spices they had prepared. Um, try to connect with with these women. Um, extreme loss they're experiencing. They're feeling Jesus had died a, a few days ago and, and their lives that they had given themselves to was to follow this man and now he was dead and, and they're heartbroken. And there's this, this deep sense of pain, this deep sense of, of, of fear and, and confusion and just, they just don't really know what to do. And, and I can, one of the things that I like to do is kind of impose what, what I think was probably happening here is uh, imagine, uh, sadness prevailing. Think about a time maybe in your life where sadness was prevailing and you just wanted to be busy. You ever been there? Can you relate to that? Like, I'm really, really sad, so I'm just going to make myself busy and do stuff so that I don't have to sit and wallow in this thing that's make, making me so sad. And I think that's what's going on with these women because it says they were, they were preparing spices um, to put on, on the body. Then uh, verse 2, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Um, but then when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Um, so more, more confusion, more, more fear, more what in the world is happening because when they left the tomb, there's a giant stone that man would not have been able to roll away. There were um, centurions guarding the stone to make sure no one came and, and stole the body, and Jesus was in there. And now none of those things happened, and, and there's nothing physical in this world that could have changed those things. Like, where are the guards? How did the, tomb, how did, how did the stone get rolled away? And, and what happened to Jesus' body? And, and these women who are heartbroken and confused, and especially Mary Magdalene, who had had so much of her life changed and so much of her life affected and impacted in a positive way by Jesus. And now this man, she'd given her life to, to follow and, and to, to be discipled by and pattern her life after is now gone. And so shock and fear and wonder what's happening. Um, and then verse 4, Scripture uses the word perplexed. While they were perplexed about this, Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. So perplexed, confused, why did this happen? What happened? Um, the first thing that they see is two angels. And um, that's the, the two men in dazzling attire are, are two angels. And, and I think it's, it's fascinating to think that, and, and this is, I don't know where you are in your relationship to Jesus today, um, and I don't pretend to think that some of you who've been here forever are in a good place with Christ. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. I don't know. But the, the beautiful part about this is these women are skeptical. And then later on, we're going to talk about the disciples and they're skeptical until they have a divine encounter. Um, and that makes me think of like, I, I reflect a lot about like who I am as the, as the leader of this church and, and what I'm supposed to be doing and what my role is. And, and I'm convinced, even before I, I studied this this week, I'm convinced that my role is to proclaim what I believe the Bible to be saying as, as the authoritative word of God, the truth. And then I don't need you to believe that. My role is to proclaim that. And, and then there are your role is, is changed by a divine encounter that you might have. 
And so that's what, when that, that thing that we read on the bulletin is what I've been praying is that we would have a divine encounter with a holy and perfect God who loves you so much. Even in the midst of our confusion and fear and wonder and, and what's happening in this world and what's happening in my life. And this is where, like, I, I want to be completely real and honest. And, and I've said it already. I said it in my prayer. Like, my spirit, my heart is melancholy and I don't really feel like being here talking about Jesus with you. I'd rather be at home in my pajamas. But here I am. And there's, there's a melancholy that, that's true on Easter. And that's like, I feel like a failure as a pastor on Easter when I'm supposed to think about tulips and, and pretty things and, and colorful eggs. I'm, I'm melancholy. But the, the truth is that there is a divine being, a holy God who has revealed himself to us and wants to share with us the heart of how much he loves us and how much he labored and suffered to love us. And, and that's the, even in the midst of melancholy, God is alive and good. And I'm trying to encourage my soul to, to believe that. But I think, I think the point of all of that, the point of talking about my melancholy, and the point of, of the last minute and a half is, is to give us all permission to, to just be honest with ourselves and with each other and most importantly with God. Because if God's not able to break through our doubt and our fear and our confusion and our being perplexed, if God's not able to do that, like what's the, what's the point of us gathering here together? He is able to do that. And I trust that he is, and I trust that he will, and I trust that he, he is in the middle of it. Even in my own heart right now, a divine encounter. I'm praying for a divine encounter. Verse 5, and they were frightened. They, these women, led by Mary Magdalene, were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? That is an incredible question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Um, that's a good question. Do you, do you like to, to think? Do you like to, to ponder, like maybe later on today in a still moment, think about that question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? There is no life in dead things, so why do we spend time thinking about it? In this world... In your heart, what you pursue, do you look for life among things that are only going to bring death to you? Jesus is alive. Don't look for the living among the dead. Verse 6, the angel still talking. He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? I want to, like, this is, this is really let's look a little bit deeper here. Like Jesus had just like a couple of weeks ago told every one of these people, all of his disciples and all the, these five women had told them all, I'm going to die. And then three days later, I'm going to rise. And then it happened. And these women are still perplexed. And, and I, I am imposed I'm, I'm a part of a, a cohort of guys who, who talk about sermons. There's a, another church that's, that's preaching the same sermon today, and we talk about it. And one of the things I said is, how were these people so stupid 
that two weeks ago Jesus said, this is what's going to happen, and then it happened, and they were surprised by it. Like, how does, like, that doesn't make any sense to me. And then I consider my own heart when Jesus says, this is what's going to happen, and then it happens, and then I get angry or frustrated or hurt or sad or whatever, or melancholy like I am today. Like, we're, we're the same way. But what these women are saying to, to me and, and hopefully to you is that it's okay to doubt. It's okay to forget. It's okay to, to not understand the truth of what God has for us because he's going to labor and suffer and, and interact with you in a divine way to proclaim the truth to you for the 5,000th time. And if you need a 5,001, okay, it's coming. Um, but this, verse 6, is talking about a very physical resurrection. And I, don't, I, I think there may be people that, that don't believe this. There's, there's a few intellectual proofs of uh, the fact that the resurrection happened. I want to share a few of them first. Um, Peter and John, a few weeks later after the resurrection stand before the Sanhedrin in a, and, and this event is, is spoken of in the Bible, but also uh, spoken of extra biblically. That means in, in literature that's not the Bible, historical literature, um, where Peter and John stand before the very council that condemned Jesus to death on the cross. They stand before him and proclaim that they ask him how you healed someone. And he said, they said, in, in, by the power of the man that you crucified two weeks ago, we stand before you. And so what had to happen in the life of Peter and John, to, especially Peter, two weeks ago, Peter's denying Christ to teenage girls, and now he's standing before the people that have the authority and power to kill him and did have the authority and power and actually executed Jesus. And now he stands before them proclaiming that you guys executed the wrong guy. You guys executed Jesus. What had to happen? They saw Jesus resurrected. Um, the other thing is that 10 of the 11 disciples, did you know this? 10 of the 11 disciples, there's 12 disciples, Judas being the 12, but 10 of the 11 died a martyr's death. And it, it just doesn't make sense that someone would die for something that they knew to be a lie. You follow that? But, but again, these are just intellectual proofs. This is uh, something called apologetics, where you're trying to, to convince someone intellectually of something that happened. And as we see in our story with, with the women and then in a few minutes with the, the disciples, I, c- I can convince you of something, but until... God changes your heart and you have a divine encounter, it's really just words and it doesn't make a lot of difference. Um, So I don't want to spend a lot of time here this morning with apologetics, but what I want to do is say that doubt is okay. Doubt is okay. Verse 7. And here is what I think uh, to be the, the coolest verse in these scriptures for Suburban 2018, United States of America. Verse 7, the angel still speaking to the formerly demon-possessed prostitute. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Very simply, this is the gospel. 
all that we're here, the, the good news for us, the, the heart of the gospel is here in this verse where the angel speaks it to the formerly demon-possessed prostitute. He says, Jesus, the Son of Man, so God, in the, when, when Son of Man shows up in Scripture, that's the, the Greek language is talking about this is not just a person, this is God in the flesh. God in the flesh is delivered into the hands of sinful men and will be crucified on a third day rise. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the good news. That's why we exist as a church. We gather around to proclaim this to ourselves, to one another, and to our culture. This word, these words, this is the gospel. And the beautiful part about this, this is a divine being, an angel sent by God with this particular message to proclaim to these particular people for the very first time on the planet. And it happens, the divine to a demon-possessed prostitute. That's incredible. Like, walls are breaking down. Like, we want to create walls. Our religion wants to create walls and say, these are the people that get to say this message. And if you don't have this, if you're not one of these people, you don't get to proclaim this message. You don't get to hear this message. You don't, you're not welcome to hear this message. But here, Jesus or God sending this messenger to proclaim the gospel for the first time on the planet decides the best way for me to do this is to do it through a demon-possessed prostitute woman. Um, I find this to be incredible. Um, and once again, I, I, I wish I, I preached in a, in a black church. Because you guys need to respond to that more. And I hate when I do that, when I try to tell you how to respond. I just talked about how I don't want to do that. But here I am telling you that. That's incredible. Like, like, think about the walls. Maybe there are walls in your world, in your life, that, that religion or the church or, or people have put up that, are, that stand to be blocks between you and God. But the very first time that the gospel is proclaimed on this planet, it's proclaimed to someone who, who shouldn't have been there. Who the, the church, religion, the culture says, no, not, this is not for you. This is for other people. I mean, it's it's mind-blowing to me and, and heartbreaking to me. And then, verse 8, after they have this divine encounter, then they remembered his words. Uh, don't, don't miss the order of what was happening. They're doubtful, they're hurt, they're depressed, they're discouraged, they're broken. All of these things that are, that are true about these women. And now, now they're changed. Now they remember his words because they have had a divine encounter. And I'm praying for us to have a divine encounter. Verse 9. And returning from the tomb... They told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Um, I said verse 7 was the best. This is probably the best. This verse is probably the best. Um, think about this. The, the, the very first time that a human being proclaims the gospel to another human being happens in Luke 24, 9. And it's a formerly demon-possessed prostitute woman proclaiming it to who? The founders of the church. The pastors. The, the, like, 
she proclaims it to Peter. And, and literally, a few weeks before this happened, Jesus had an encounter with, with Peter and said, you are the one, you're going to be the first pastor of the church, and I'm going to give you the keys to the church. My plan for to redeem the world to myself, to heal the world from brokenness, is to create this thing called the church, this, this failed thing called the church, filled with people that are failures, people that, that do things that are wrong and, and, and break things, and, and you're going to lead that church. You are the one that I have chosen to lead this church. And it's this guy who receives the message. He's, he hears the gospel for the first time on the planet, Peter, and he hears it from a demon-possessed prostitute woman. Like, that is, it's like, on so many levels, that's incredible to me to, to think the walls are being broken, torn down, that, that we create. But it, it's, it's just, um, it, and more than that, it's incredible because Peter doesn't, doesn't believe it. Like, he, he, he doesn't, doesn't believe that this is what happened. But, and, and here's the other part for, for my own heart as, as a white male suburban pastor is that I, we can learn from everyone. And, and we can understand and come, come to knowledge, come to divine encounters from people we don't expect to come to divine encounters from. So, like, what walls do you have up? To say that person can't talk to me. Can you be honest with yourself and actually come up with with someone or a group of someones who you can learn from? Um, but I want you to know this. Um, that God is pursuing you right now. Just like Mary Magdalene needed a divine encounter after she had been exposed to the truth, God is pursuing you with a divine encounter. Maybe this is that moment. But the truth is God is, is pursuing you. And this world, probably me, this life, these people here in the world put up stumbling blocks to keep that message from getting through that Jesus has died and resurrected and is bringing you into life. But it's a simple truth. Verse 10. Um, now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, the Mary of Mother and James and the other women. That's the five women we talked about at the beginning with them. We told these things to the apostles. In verse 11, this is the response of the pastors, but these words seemed to be an idle tale. They did not believe them. Um, if you're here this morning and you don't believe that there was an actual bodily resurrection, if you don't believe that God created all of this stuff and God did all these things, then the, you are in really good company because the first reaction of Peter and the rest of the disciples was that this was an idle tale. Like you're, you're making, you're, you're just making this up. And that's like, 
So many times God uses someone that we don't expect to proclaim his truth to us as a divine encounter, and we chalk it up to an idle tale. That, stop. Um, but here, the most important thing that's ever happened on the planet, they don't believe because who it's coming from. And, and the most ridiculous part is, is just like with the women, Jesus had told these men, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to die. And then three days later, I'm going to rise again. And then it happens. And then women who had just had a divine encounter come and tell them what had happened, and they don't believe him. And I think about, like, this incessant need that we all have to make people believe how and when and what we believe. And it gets us so angry. If, if, this, if I'm Mary in this setting and I go to somebody who's really important and say, guys, guess what I just saw? Jesus did what he said he was going to do and he's alive and remember when he said that he was going to do these things and then they don't believe it there on the spot, I'm going to get mad and I'm going to post on Twitter and Facebook how this person is an idiot. You guys are chuckling, but it's the truth. When people don't believe how we want them to believe and what we want them to believe and when we want them to believe, we get all bent out of shape. But it's not your job. It's not my job to make you believe. My job is to say, here's what I believe the, the word of God, the inerrant, perfect word of God to speak to your heart and to your life. This is what I believe it says. And then it's up to a divine encounter between God and you to change something in your heart. That's what happened to Mary and the women. That's what happened to Peter and the disciples. It's not our role to force someone to believe. So you're in good company if you struggle to believe. And it's not, it's the role of God to make us believe. Verse 12. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stopping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. He didn't believe and had a divine encounter, and he went home marveling at what had happened. And the, the, the beauty is, um, and where I, I want to leave us today, is the resurrection is the truth, and it brings us into relationship with God but I want to personalize it. As we read at the beginning on your bulletin, what if the, the Easter story, the resurrection, was not just God's plan to redeem the world to himself, but what if it was also God's plan to give you tools to, to, to be at peace with who he is and even in the midst of melancholy, even in the midst of, of confusion or pain or fear or whatever, in the midst of, of any of that stuff, God is speaking an Easter story all the time to your heart and to your life. Do you feel distant from him? God's telling an Easter story. Did someone in your world build up a, a wall between you and God? God's telling an Easter story. Is, is there tragedy in your life? God's telling an Easter story. Is there joy and wonder and, and greatness and happy and, and you're, you're, you're smiling? That's good. That's an Easter story that God is telling. Our whole lives are about this. Every, like, 
over and over and over again, God creates beauty and then we destroy it. And then God redeems it. And then we destroy that redeemed beauty. And then God redeems it again. This story is cyclically happening over and over and over and over and over again. And divine encounters are happening in our hearts all the time. And this is the beauty of Easter. Let's, uh, let's pray and respond. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the, the truth of the resurrection. And also thank you for the, the metaphor of the resurrection. God, I pray that you would implant your hope into our souls, Father. God, I pray that we would respond now in, as forgiven people. Lord, I pray that we would be forgiving people. God, you are you're so good, so wise, so incredible that you could tell such a story as, as the Easter story and then allow it to just change our hearts, Father. God, I pray now that you would give each of us a divine encounter with you. And we would see you as beautiful, as the point, as the only one who can give us life. God, thank you so much for Jesus. God, forgive me for the walls that I've built. Forgive me for where I've participated in the building of walls. And may we proclaim only your truth. And through the mess of our lives, would we see you. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.